to the Dauntless Dreaming Podcast. We are your hosts, Aniket and Unkush, and today we are joined by a very special guest. She currently hosts a YouTube channel called The Vagilantes that covers a wide range of topics from sexual education to feminism and climate change. She is a writer for Brown Girl Magazine, an online blog site for South Asian women, and has participated in biology research since before she came to UNC. Our guest is an advocate for sexual education and women's rights in impoverished communities and across the world. She's a student at UNC Chapel Hill studying biology and women's rights. Welcome to the show, Vaishnavi Siri Purapu. Is that how, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, Siri Purapu, but pretty close, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. We'll do yeah, a little clap. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, Vaishnavi, what are we doing uh, over the, I guess, like the last half year with the pandemic coming in? Uh, so to clarify the question, are you asking me how my work has been affected by the pandemic? Or are you asking me just like, what's up in my life for the past half year? Yes. Just just general, what have you been up to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. So uh, I guess since the start of my junior year, uh, or, or I guess we can start from like the beginning of this year, um, I've gotten pretty into writing i've always been pretty interested in writing but um like in the beginning of this year my first piece for brown girl came out was about colorism um and then recently my second piece came out about marriage and then i'm working on a third about like uh wealth symbols like status symbols in indian culture and how women are often what carries those status symbols like you know the gold or like the expensive saris or whatever um and then so i've gotten pretty interested in that because like when you're home and you're surrounded by your family who's invested in this culture you kind of are able to see all of the the aspects of it right so there's that and then uh i've gotten into a lot of clinical research so i've been doing work around that uh specifically in cervical in cervical cancer which is something i've been interested in for a long time um and so i'm really fortunate to have been able to (laughs) work through that Uh, And I'm trying to think, you know, the YouTube channel has been going well. Uh, I write for the Society for Cell Biology as well, which has been going great. Um, So recently, you know, I think I've been doing just a lot more writing, which is pretty therapeutic uh, in our increasingly lonely yet connected world. Yeah. And, you know, you've kind of touched on this. You have done so many different things. Like we were doing our research last night. And I was just saying that going, it was insane, wow. man. I mean, I, I was texting Vaishnavi yesterday and I was like, you know, if my mom knew about you, she would like constantly compare me and I would just feel like so bad about myself because this is impressive stuff, man. Like, I mean, yeah. you've been uh, interested in uh, feminism and reproductive health since you were 14, right? Yeah. Well, actually even younger um, since I was, I think, so a lot of people ask me, what is like the defining thing that, um, like that got you into this field and I would say there isn't any like defining thing it's more of a general like you live your life as a woman or somebody of a marginalized gender and you're like oh you know I face all of these things because I'm a woman but I also did have a pretty distinct like time that I was like oh I need to fix this uh does it, do y'all remember the nearby case in India has have y'all heard of that at all uh, it was a pretty shattering rape case um, and it was this young woman who was the primary breadwinner for her family. She was a medical student. She was on a bus riding home and she was gang raped on the bus. Um, and actually like the bus driver also was one of her rapists. And it was pretty horrific. Um, she like, it, it was pretty bad. And, and it gained national attention because Indira Gandhi got involved in it. And they sent her oh. to like a, a, a big hospital for treatment and she still died. And 
my mom was telling me this when I was in the car, <laughs> like driving to school one day. I'm pretty sure that happened in 2012 or, or sometime when I was oh, very that's young. Recent. I'm like, Damn. Yeah, I don't know. It happened. It happened like when I was pretty young. And then I think that was like a pretty pivotal moment. I was like, I can't stand for this anymore. And I think that's when I got really into it. So, yeah, this is, yeah, this is a, I'm glad that you're like jumping straight into the deep root issues. Cause like, this is something that we were going to like slowly jump in, but it's, it's, it's good that we could just hop on a little bit and then we can come back to the other questions. But, but um, what do you think um, contributes to such, um, you know, demeaning behavior against women, especially in, in our Brown culture. So wow. like one of the things like we were thinking about was like, you know, sexism, sexism in Indian films. That's one of the things. Mm-hmm. What are some other things yeah. that you've thought about? Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've written about that, which I think is why you bring that up. Um, mm-hmm. So I wrote an article about that back in the day. So it, I think there are several factors on Kush. Thanks for asking me. This is a pretty big question, right? It's something that people study for years and, and never know right. the final answer to. But I think in Indian society specifically, so there's a lot of things about it, right? So a lot of Indian culture comes from Hinduism. And yet we see like in traditional Hindu texts, because I've written about this as well, <laughs> that uh, women are pretty well respected. Um, and, and it's tradition that, you know, you give women respect. There's lots of examples of women being strong and taking control of their own destinies and, and men being objectively wrong about women's lives, right? But I think like anytime you have a, a structure that allows certain people to have power over others, people will exploit that to give themselves more power at the expense of others. And oftentimes, unfortunately, I think it's women who are exploited like that. I think one of the big things in Indian culture, though, that prevents us from moving forward is the fear of judgment. So I always say this, um, Indian people want to have smart daughters until that daughter starts acting smart, (laughs) Mm. right? So it's like, my mom, you know, is very happy to have a daughter who like writes about all this stuff and is very happy to have a daughter who like has a good GPA, is doing well in school. But the second I like call something out like in society, she's like, oh oh my gosh, like, you know, she didn't really mean to say that. Like, she didn't really mean to insult you or your family or your practices. But I did mean that. <laughs> and so it's like, you can't have a smart daughter. You can't, you know, you can't have smart and educated people because right. that education means, you know, they need to call things out in your society and make things better. And so I think it's like Indian people um, or brown people in general or people who come from pretty collectivistic societies are just so scared of judgment, so scared of stepping out of line that I think it's what makes it hard for society to move forward and the patriarchal traditions just compound upon themselves with the younger generation. My mom doesn't actually do that, by the way. She's pretty proud of me in a lot of regards. Um, I just did that as an example. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And I feel like I've, I've been in a lucky situation because I think the women that have been in my life, like my grandma, my mother, um, mm-hmm. they've all been rather independent women. And it's pretty funny sometimes because you'll see my grandma get on my grandpa's case and everybody just sits there and just doesn't say anything because, you know, she's, she's the boss of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, Aniket, if I can ask, are, mm-hmm. is your family, what's the socioeconomic status of your grandmother? Is she, like, from a village or a city? Um, so, all my family comes from different villages, right? Um, it yeah. wasn't... It's the same with me. Yeah, so, okay. we're, so I come from a family of farmers. Um, it's mm-hmm. only been, like, in my parents' generation where they, you know, got into medicine or law or business. And then stepped into, you know, like, you know, coming to the U.S. and stuff like that. So I'd say we're pretty, like, humble. Like, we come from a humble background. And I don't no, know. That's really great. 
Mm-hmm. That's I great. Just, that's great. Like all these social issues are very major, but I think I've been rather blind to them because of how I guess I don't want to like put my family on a pedestal or anything, but I felt I came from a rather progressive, I guess maybe mm-hmm. like like family background. Mm-hmm. Well, so. Thank you for sharing that. One of the reasons I asked is because most people think my family also comes from a village. Um, and uh, my dad was like in manual labor before he, you know, got the opportunity to come to America. But um, the reason I asked is because most people think like villages, upper, like villages and places like that are um, not very good in terms of women's liberation and things like that. And people think that most progressive ideas come from the cities. That may be true in some cases, but actually traditionally, uh, a lot of the times in places where people need to work to survive, uh, gender equality is, is pretty substantial. Like, like people are pretty equal with each other because um, in those places, like men or women, it doesn't matter. Everybody needs to farm to survive. Everyone needs to like, you know, ha- ha- like herd cows to survive. So it doesn't really matter. I also come from a society, I mean, my family of like pretty independent women on my mom's side because mm-hmm. they're from a more village. And so I think, you know, in India, it's, uh, we shouldn't ignore the contributions that um, we think come from places below us, you know, mm-hmm. which, which gets into like issues of casteism and like protests and mm-hmm. things like that. And we can go there if you want, but I feel like it's not the primary purpose. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, and I know that, you know, you are someone that grew up in, uh, in, in India and then like came to U.S., Yep. Um, and coming from a, you know, from a tradition background, I can relate to it because I did the same thing too. Same here, um, same here. Yeah, we, yeah, it's, it's funny. We all did the same thing. I think we should, we, we should all kind of, sh- hmm? what happened? The shot, the, the polio shot. Did you all get Oh yeah, well? oh, I yeah, used yeah. to get yeah. them. Oh my God, as a kid. I thought it was I a birthmark for the longest time. No, man. I never got it here and I legit thought I was going to get a polio. And I, I didn't know that like this, like, like at US, like that doesn't matter because they yeah. completely like eradicated it. Because I actually, like I've actually seen and like an mm-hmm. actual person with polio when I was in India. Like I, I mm-hmm. literally remember playing volleyball with my cousins and there was a house, like a small house where there was this like one man with polio and I think his wife was there the whole time. Yeah. And they were, they were the sweetest people ever, but we never got like close to them because like, I think we all just were kind of scared. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's one of the shocking realities. And so we, we were looking at your, um, your now this. Um, you oh, know, thanks. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm a big fan of them because I always like watch <laughs> the little clips this. that I see on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know there's one of the quotes that they put in, uh, which I, I'm just going to read what it says. Um, Throughout history, we see humans always fear what they don't understand. So I thought to myself, if I can make people understand the female reproductive system, then I can make people, uh, then I can make people and therefore empower more people through the power of education. So like my first question is like, why do we fear talking about sex in our culture? Like, why is <laughs> yeah, this yeah. real? What's that change yeah, of tone? Yeah. What? <laughs> um well that's a good question and i get to the root of a lot of things right um and you know in that quote actually fun fact i misquoted it when i said it but um yeah so why do people fear talking about sex what i guess why do indian people specifically fear it and that's a good question because i think you know like hinduism is the culture that first created the kama sutra right and and Mm -hmm. in like hindu texts sex isn't really something to be scared of and it's pretty it's pretty open like people are pretty open about talking about it even back then um and Mm -hmm. 
I think one of the big reasons is definitely colonialism, right, colonization, because uh, British colonizers had some pretty puritanical views. Um, but but we can't blame everything on being colonized, right? Big right. percent of it, I feel like, has, has modified Indian culture. But um, we can't blame everything on colonization. So I think a few of the other reasons are uh like getting back to what i said fear right people i don't i wouldn't say are scared of sex but they're scared of their daughters mainly getting pregnant mm. because right. indian people i think abortion is still legal in india and you can get one um but i think like you know like i said previously indian society is pretty collectivistic and not only mm -hmm. that we're pretty judgmental um and so you know when when your business is everyone's business and if it's not everyone's business you're ostracized um, and you, you know, you go through something that's not deemed societally acceptable, then what, it's not just what happens to you, it's not just the individual, right? it happens to your family, what happens to, you know, the people who know you, things like that. Um, and I think it's a compound of all of those reasons that one, it's not just you who bears the burden. Um, two, um, you're so scared of what other people will say of you. And three, it's something that can like, like, if you're seen as deviant, it's something that can genuinely limit the opportunities you have in society to, like, you know, talk to various people, or if you have a bad rep, like, even the kinds of jobs you can get, or even the kind of people you can marry, or things like that. I think it's a combination of all those things that makes people really scared of sex in particular, because that's something that's so taboo. Like, let's, like, mm -hmm. okay, something like colorism, okay, for example, no one's going to argue with me when I say, like, I think people who have different skin tones should have the same opportunities. No one's going to argue right. with me about that. Right. But if it's something about sex, a lot of people still think it's like elective. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. still think it's like, you know, um, like you do it to have children and literally nothing else. That <laughs> um, I think people view it as a, necess a necessity and not as sort of mm -hmm. something to engage in as an activity. And people will argue about that. And, you know, you just talked about like people not trying sex the right ways. So, like, I actually want to ask you, like, what are some of the, like, the most common misunderstandings that you hear about oh. human reproductive system? I'm, I'm pretty sure you have a lot. So, the most common misconceptions I get <laughs> are uh, about the hymen. I think people are very curious about that. Um, mm. And it's, uh, so everybody probably thinks, like, oh, you know, if you're a person with a, a vulva, when you first have sex, you, uh, like, penetrative sex, your hymen will break and then, like, like ta-da like an open bottle of coke you'll start fizzing out or whatever <laughs> but um that's actually not true the hymen is a, a real thing it's a real organ but it's more of like a membrane so wait i should probably use this tent okay it's more of like a membrane uh it can cover half or like a little more a little less whatever but it never covers fully and i ask people to think about this if you had a hymen that fully covered your vaginal opening how would you menstruate right straight up like how would you produce discharge like how would anything get out you know that is a medical condition actually i've been fully covering hymen um but usually that's diagnosed and then is medically operated on to remove it or things like that but really i think the myth of virginity is really just a social construct because there's no there's no such thing as biological virginity like from the concept of science no such thing as biological virginity but i really think it comes from like honestly people really wanting to control women's reproductive systems um, and really wanting to control women's sexualities uh, and, and ascribing this pseudo-scientific thing onto the body, which uh, is, is really a common misconception. Another common one is douching. Do either of you know what that is? No, I Probably. don't, but I was, I was going like to being ask... A douche. 
or like yeah, a, you probably yeah. heard about being yeah. a douche, but I do. I was actually gonna ask before you continue with the point. Can you like explain yeah. our audience the premise of uh, biology virginity? I've never heard that term. Which is oh, kind of yeah. it sounds so, contradicting for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, so biological virginity is the whole like your hymen. If you have a hymen, then you're a virgin. If you don't gotcha. have one, then you're not. You know, right. so that's like a biological way that people can check. Uh, to see if you have that. Um, That's what they used like to do. I, I'm pretty yeah. sure a couple, couple of decades ago in, in a lot of cultures. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, go, go ahead with the, with the douchebaggery. Or... <laughs> <laughs> so at douche, people commonly use that as an insult now, um, which, by the way, another thing, a lot of things that are very pertinent to women are used as insults, um, which says a lot about our society, but we can get there later. But a douche is actually just a little sack full of water or, like, douching liquid sometimes like vinegar or soap or whatever you just kind of stick it inside of the vagina and squeeze and it's supposed to like like it's supposed to like wash out all of the impurities inside of mm. you or something that's actually not what it does and it's kind of terrible uh i read a study once that likened douching as cigarettes for your vagina and they're still pretty common and the reason for that is because people are so obsessed with keeping women clean right so obsessed with keeping women in particular clean pure whatever mm. Um, but it's actually terrible for you. If you douche with semen inside of you, it can lead to an ectopic pregnancy, higher chance for those, which is when uh, you have a fertilized egg implant in the fallopian tube, uh, which is terrible. And there's no way that either like the child or the mother could be carried to term. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it also upsets the natural pH of your vagina. Real quick, the vagina is self-cleaning. Um, which means mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything to it and but people are still super obsessed like I remember like summer's eve came out and I was like why don't people market anything for men's genitals like I feel like those are significantly grosser and they get there significantly <laughs> faster than women because they're not self-cleaning I'm like what like thoughts mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway so that's a yeah. kind of misconception I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to keep this podcast like pg so I'm not gonna go <laughs> a, lot, a lot deeper into it <laughs> genitals but yeah there's a lot of things that i i know i had to learn as i was as i was growing up too so mm-hmm. i'm sorry another pretty common one that i think is really important to talk about is uh if you insert anything in your in your vagina it means you've lost your virginity so i see a lot of indian people actually have this and that's why a lot of indian women won't use tampons um it's because they're scared of putting things inside of themselves i I will say like now that we've clarified that virginity isn't a real thing that argument is also invalid and another thing is um pubic hair i think that's a really important thing to talk about because um it happens a lot in, in cultures in which like women's virginity is really valued um where people will not want to have pubic hair present uh i'll say like uh, pubic hair removal has very very no matter the method has very very high chance of infection um and also is ridiculously uncomfortable like i'm like i'm sure most of your listeners who have vulvas will agree with me here but um very uncomfortable and, and furthermore it in society i'm a women's studies major so i'm not like conjecturing mm-hmm. here in society it proves that people are afraid of the mature feminine okay so like mm-hmm. that that means like you know um like people will prefer prepubescent looking things over like 
full-grown women, you know, same effect as calling women girls. Like, you know, you're like, oh, I met a great girl the other day. Like, mm-hmm. obviously did not. Obviously, you met a woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but having those preferences in place really does impact girl psyches and women's psyches um, and is terrible for the general health of the reproductive system. So I just really wanted to get that out there because I know a lot of people feel really uncomfortable um, if they're not like fully like nude um, in terms of body hair, but I'll say it's completely natural and oftentimes removal does a lot more harm than good. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, that was a, I actually feel like I learned a lot today. <laughs> that, that, was, that was amazing. Oh yeah, for sure. But I think the, the bigger issue that can come mm-hmm. with sex education is uh, obviously learning about it is probably the first step, which you did a really good job of just stating some of the misconceptions. But like, how can we really apply that knowledge in navigating relationships? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think you mentioned this before. Uh, I worked on a government-funded grant in for relationship education in particular. Uh, we made a little app. Um, it's called Luna's, no, no, it's called Layla's Last Week. You can Google it. Shut up. <laughs> um, I, did, I did look into it, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so I think relationship education is definitely really, really important, especially for women and girls, um, because oftentimes they're the person in the relationship, if it's a heterosexual relationship, who has less power societally. And so it can be hard because, you know, for years, women and girls are conditioned to believe that, you know, if a man invests attention onto you, it's like really great, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you're so pretty. So like this person likes you or like, you know, you you better stop being mean to boys because you're going to like one one day. But I think it's important um, in a navigation application of reproductive health education. I think the biggest part comes into play in terms of consent. Um, because that is a crucial part of intimacy that involves a lot of communication, right? And oftentimes, a lot of people don't know how to get there because in TV or media, you see characters getting into intimate situations without any form or conversation, like nothing happens, and then immediately they're kissing. So it's like a lot of people think you have to do that. And if you have to ask, it means the other person doesn't like you very much. But in reality, if you take the time to like ask someone for consent, it means you really like them and you probably really want to make sure they like you before you move forward with anything, right? Mm-hmm. And then furthermore, I think people think like if they're not good in the bedroom immediately, like if they're not like a natural, um, then they're not valid or they're not worthy of intimacy of the other person or like, oh, what's the other person going to think of me or stuff like that. That's not very true. The best way I, I think to be, and this is, I get a lot of questions about this from teenage boys in particular, like what's the best way to like, you know, please a partner in bed. <laughs> um, and honestly, like there's no one size fits all answer. The best way is really to just listen to people, which is not sexy, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to be like, you should just talk to each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think that's really one of the best ways to apply reproductive education in relationships, in relationships is by listening to the other person. I think open communication is really important because it's like, if you don't know something, the other person will tell you that thing, or if they don't know that you can just Google it. We have the power of the internet at our fingertips. But I think a lot of people miss that. And I think that's where uh, reproductive health education can come in um, with factual information and also the power. If you've already talked to people about hard things, they're more likely to talk to other people about hard things in the future. Something that you mentioned, uh, you're talking about me- like media portrayal and entertainment portrayal of sex, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of reminded me, um, how do you think uh, 
you know, Bollywood and South Asian entertainment has kind of become more accommodating over the last couple of years or how has it changed? Um, because, you know, I'm starting to realize more like, hey, do you watch mainstream like Bollywood or like South Bollywood. Asian entertainment? Yeah. yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, so like um, it's becoming more common to see like these like kissing scenes rather than just yeah. like hugging. <laughs> uh, like in the past, it was like hugging and like making faces was like the depiction of like. <laughs> and, and the neck, like Salman Khan and his whole neck move. Yeah, so yeah. awkward in my opinion <laughs> yeah so anytime my sister and I will watch movies together and there's a kiss scene we're always just like whoa like movies have gotten so bold these days like oh my gosh how yeah. bold are they <laughs> but you know on uh, case I think you bring up a good point in the <clears throat> it's not always media portrayal right society really does need to change though and, and a good example of that I will say is item songs in movies you ever seen mm. those so uh, item songs in films yeah. um, i was or, gonna or... sing one but i was like i'll just stop okay <laughs> what's, the song? what's the song uh you know the what's that song i was thinking about the the one song in the bung uh oh yeah that'd be what cool stay you know what i'm talking about oh yeah yeah loki love that photo <laughs> yeah yeah that one uh, <laughs> just uh, cut that anyway. out of the podcast <laughs> i don't know that might be that might be a blooper at the end <laughs> anyways um uh, sorry back to your question I think um, it's good that movies are doing this whole like revolutionary um, showing scenes of intimacy on screen things, but uh, the legit, like the reality of it is, films have been showing women in sexual situations for years, like years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and oftentimes these women seem like they're enjoying it, right? They're enjoying dancing on screen and things like that. And yet we don't see women have that type of freedom in society, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it goes, and you can, you can argue with me on that point. You know, oftentimes women don't like seeing themselves objectified on screen, sure. But even in our sacred texts, like even in Hinduism, you see a lot of instances of art of women just wearing like, you know, bikini tops and like skirts or like, you know, sometimes in temples you'll see like topless goddesses. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you'll see women clad in all sorts of things and, and still, women are not free to do that in our society, you know? So I think media portrayal is one thing. It's really a slow progression. I'm really glad that media is portraying those moments of intimacy on screen. But I think what's more important is to encourage um, really the older generation to not be as judgmental or to really encourage like the younger generation to take control of, of what people think about them. Honestly, I think encouraging bravery is really important. And that doesn't um, necessarily come from topical depictions, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I think it comes from like having whole films dedicated to um, a person's journey of empowerment or a person's, um, like a woman in particular and how she faces like gender issues, things like that. And we have a lot of those, um, which is good. I think we're getting there now. But I think if you'll notice in Bollywood, a lot of the directors are male. I think there's like couple female directors that are famous. In Hollywood, mm-hmm. definitely a, almost all the directors are male. So I think it comes from having women in front of the camera doing what they want to do, the women behind the camera uh, as well, pushing those storylines. That kind of reminded me too, um, that, that movie that came out recently, I think it was called Malung. Have you, have you heard of it? No. Um, I think that movie openly talked about, you know, rape and uh, like sexual like mm-hmm. relations and it, it depicted drugs sexual relations mm-hmm. and i thought it was very progressive uh, obviously i can't ask any questions about it since you haven't seen it yet but sorry <laughs> but no <yeah>. spoilers <laughs> no no i super agree with films being progressive in india i think that's really really great um but <clears throat> i think it's also important to like talk about so 
I think this is a common misconception. Uh, people are talking about like, oh, you know, you see this woman on screen like owning her sexuality, so you should do, do it too. But mm. we gotta also have women on screen saying no, <laughs> and yeah. then their decisions being respected. You know, I think honestly, a lot of what media in India should aspire to do is change the way men think about women. Um, because I think that will free up the way that women can think about themselves. That's just my conjecture. You know, we, you know, well, everyone knows the saying, like, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh-huh. But I also, <laughs> I think that that statement is controversial because I think that the beauty, the beholder himself or herself has a lot of influence from our society. So, you know, obviously one of the biggest issues I know that you advocate for is uh, colorism. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, obviously, I know some progress is being made with, uh, you know, when uh, Priyanka Chopra was kind of being canceled on Twitter for advocating for fairness creams. And then obviously, you know, that was a bit, um, that, that, was a, that was a really rowdy conversation that was happening. Uh, do you think that we're, we're at a good pace right now with how our, our, basically our community, our culture, I guess, India in general is like going with, you know, advocating for, uh, you know, equal opportunity change. for women? Yeah. Just societal change in general, right? Because yeah. even with like, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but the death of Shashant Singh Rajput, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you see all these like, these people are taking over Twitter in ways that's already common on the, like in, in the Western world. You see people voicing their opinions and, you know, a small person from the middle of nowhere now has an amplified voice and can talk to people like in the Bollywood sphere. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So I think your question was, do you think India is doing well with social change? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, do you uh, think so? Not just that, but like how how can also, how do you see, how can be, I guess, like India improve in a... Uh, are we know, trending in, in the right direction? Their, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it depends, right? Uh, I think it's hard to say that about any country, right? Like America, for example, during the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you could say like, oh my God, this country is doing great. Like, you know, here's like, look at all these protests, like look at all these people taking action, things like that. But the thing is like, um, when the collective is not on that same boat anymore, the enthusiasm might peter out. And I'm thankful that there's a lot of people who are known, who know now about that issue and they're able to contribute to change. But um, I think it's hard to say that about any country. Uh, thankfully though, like now, like in India, there's a lot of, you know, progressive ideas, a lot of people have a lot of different rights, things like that. But I think the biggest issue in India is de facto versus de jure discrimination. So de jure discrimination is like, by law, like, okay, by law, you can't discriminate by caste. But um, that doesn't stop people from doing it, you know. Um, And, and I think it's hard to say, because uh, you don't really know how far these ideas stretch, right. So I'll give you an example because uh, I was dating a guy a while ago and I actually asked him if, if I could write this article about him and he said yes. So um, you can like include That's this in bold. the podcast. I'll keep him anonymous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, well, I kept him anonymous. So anyway, the reason, I, the reason I wrote it is because I was dating this guy a while ago who was a little older than me. Um, he was like in his mid twenties um, and he was in a graduate program, right? He had a good education, had a bachelor's degree from an Ivy League in the US. Um, and, and his parents had been here for 20 plus years. Right. Um, and so I was talking to him, I was like, two things. Okay. The first thing I was like, so I just want to show he was Brahmin. I was like, I just want to show I'm not Brahmin. Is that an issue with your parents? And he said, Oh no, not at all. Not at all. My parents don't care about caste. Um, you're Shatriya, right? So it doesn't matter. 
Uh, maybe mm. if you're something else, it might matter. But no, my parents don't care about caste. And I was like, and that is a type of discrimination you need to pick up on. And yet is the type of discrimination most young people are a, it's the type that's very common in India. Like, oh, I don't care about it. I don't care about it. Except maybe in this regard, but other than that, I don't care about it, you know? Because for that guy, your parents do care about caste. They just don't care about mine <laughs> because like I, I had the misfortune of being born into a caste that was like uh, attractive to your parents. But um, I think that's the type of discrimination you really need to catch, right? Because it's like, well, I'm a good person because, you know, I don't really think about this stuff. But in reality, it's like you do think about that stuff and, and you do need mm -hmm. to address that. And furthermore, um, the, the, the reason that relationship didn't last was because his mom said I was too dark for him. Um, and, and I want you to think about that for a solid second, okay? We're clearly, we're in America, yeah? And um, they've immigrated here. <laughs> um, and he has gotten a bachelor's degree from a very well-regarded university. And he's in the graduate program. And he's like 20, like mid-20s, you know? And yet, mm. because his mother was like, oh, this girl's too dark for you, he, um, he was like, hey, sorry, my mom said you're too dark for me. Like, I can't continue doing this. I think that's the type of discrimination that, that we need to catch and stop because it doesn't matter somebody's background. It doesn't matter how much of the population is educated. It doesn't matter how many laws you have in place. It doesn't matter what you're showing on screen. If people are going to have these ideas and furthermore, if when they have those ideas, they're encouraged because this person didn't try to stand up to his mom. He said, hey, sorry, I can't go against my parents. You, you gotta be out of my life. You know, and, and, and the thing is, like, no matter what I did, right, as as the victim, no matter what I did, no matter how many publications I had, no matter, you know, how high my GPA was, no matter how high my, like, uh, class rank is, whatever, it doesn't matter to them because they can't see past the initial thing. That's another right. thing. No matter how educated your population is, if you still have a force oppressing them, it's not going to matter because they can't see past that initial thing. So I think when people ask, like, oh, is society trending in the right way, you really can't tell because it really comes from people's mindsets. Mm -hmm. And those mindsets can only be changed um, by by societal forces all around them. They really go interpersonally. Yeah, and on the topic of caste, right, that actually reminded me of something. I was uh, doing some research um, for this nonprofit that I was uh, working with a couple of years back. And one of the things that I was looking into was the census of, a, of my local village. And what I found, like, like on actual government documents was when they're recording, you know, the demographics of these people you would see statistics on their caste. And I was like, how does this mean anything in right. like a general sense? Like, uh, but then, you know, it kind of got me interested in every, like my parents never really talked too much about caste because, you know, it wasn't something that was important, I felt, to my upbringing. But um, like we've had one or two odd conversations and they would say, oh, we come from a good caste. And sometimes I feel kind of ashamed in the sense that, am I here because of my family's merit and their hard work? Or am I in this situation because of mm -hmm. the position that we've been put in, in society for, you know, centuries or decades or however long. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually, that actually reminds me. So mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, like I've had, I do remember instances like with my mom and, you know, I mean, she is one of the nicest women that I know, but there are, mm -hmm. I can tell that there's that, you know, there's there's that element of her when she's like judging people based on her cast. Like I've caught mm -hmm. her, like you know, making judgments. It was like, oh, you know, he's a you know, a shrew cast or whatever. Like you know, she she might just say, and then like she might just have like the face of disgust. And like I always hate seeing that, and that's something like I don't agree with too. So like I think that negative stigma, um, 
I think when, you know, you know, when we look at our adults and we, uh, you know, we see them as someone that we want to follow and inspect, uh, I think it just becomes really difficult to hold, you know, uphold tradition culture while, mm-hmm. you know, let's say, for example, having an open choice on who to marry and who to date. Do you think it's possible in a culture uh, to <laughs> have that type of freedom without like disappointing our parents? So I, I think, for me, that's something I think about like all the time. I'm pretty sure a lot yeah, of you, you know, a lot of people do. So yeah, well, you probably read the article I wrote about it then, which is why you're asking me. But <laughs> right. um, I think to get to the core of your question, a lot of the reason I write what I write um, is because I think it's hard when you have someone you look up to, right? Your parents, for example, and you know that they have these sort of negative ideas, and you're like, oh my god, what do I do? This is my mom or my dad or like my grandfather, like someone who's very close to me, and yet they're racist. So like, what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of young people, what they will resort to is um, telling the person that they're wrong. And like, oh, you're terrible. Like, you're wrong. These are some bad ideas you got. You gotta change them, stuff like that. But a lot of the reason I write what I write is because the reason that most people have these ideas who are older than us is because they want to uphold their tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they want to stick to their culture. They think that their culture dictates that lighter skin is prettier, for example, and they right. want to dictate, they want to stick to that. And so I think the importance there is to really actually understand yourself, what they're trying to stick to, find out that it's wrong because most of these older people are uh, devoutly, they're pretty religious. Uh, and most of the time, religion will not tell you to discriminate based off of skin color or caste. Um, and so it's important to like find like the source, I think, where they're getting their misconception from and correct it, which is what I do in my colorism article, right? I'm like, oh, we objectively have dark goddesses. Krishna, for example, famous for being dark. Naropadi, also famous for being dark. Kali, also famous for, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're telling, if you're telling, you know, your neighbor, like your baby's dark, like how would you react if you saw baby Krishna, the incarnation of God, like, you know, would you be like, oh, you're too dark? You know what I'm saying? Right. And the same thing, I think, with your idea of marriage and choice. Um, and uh, so in my article, I write, um, a lot of people don't want their children to date because they think that it's against tradition. When in reality, um, Gandharva marriage, which is love marriage as we see it today, was the traditional form of marriage for centuries in India. And there's lots of textual evidence supporting that. And furthermore, a lot of the times in Indian culture, if a girl doesn't want to marry who, who her parents have chosen for her, she'll just say no, and her choice is respected. And furthermore, in a lot of the cases, like, women were presented with multiple suitors, and they could just pick one, you know, like Draupadi and Arjun, for example, um, or Ram and Sita, for example. Like, everyone knows Ramayana, no one knows that, you know, and, and, and we see even after marriage, um, the Ramayana actually has a part two where Ram sends Sita out into like the forest because his kingdom is telling him that that she cheated on him. Um, She has Mm -hmm. the twins there in the forest, Love and Kush. Um, And so when he meets up with her again, Sita's like, you have um, suspected me of something I didn't do. You didn't trust me. You're kind of terrible to me. And so I am leaving you. And she does. She does exactly that. She leaves the kids with him and leaves. Um, And so Ankush, I think with your question about marriage, Yes, <laughs> I think there is a way that Indian kids can like choose who to date, choose who to marry without upsetting our traditions because that's how it usually is, how it usually used to work. And furthermore, I think that extends to issues like colorism and casteism and most progressive things. Hinduism itself is a pretty progressive religion. It's just the traditions that we choose to uphold have been, I would say, misinterpreted to support those in power, you know. So it's important to get to the root of 
what your older relatives or older mentors believe and then sort of talk to them through that lens. I want to eventually get into the nitty gritty of, you know, all the stuff that you've gotten, like what you've been working on in the biology yeah, sense. I'm talking a lot. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's fine. Go you're good. It, you're it's good. great. It's great conversation. And there's one last thing I want to bring up because of, you know, we're talking about arranged marriages and love marriages. Um, I don't know why this came to mind. I've only watched like two or three episodes. I hope nobody judges me. But um, how do you feel about Indian matchmaking, the Netflix series? Yeah, I watched the whole thing actually with my mom. <laughs> it was so eye-opening for me personally because oh. uh, like I had this preconception of arranged marriage beforehand, right? But after mm-hmm. watching this TV show, it's like, oh, wow. They, it's like on a different level. Like it's completely different than what I've been accustomed to like thinking and hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me this and, and they think that they know my answer, but it's like, people ask me like, how do you feel about arranged marriage? You know, and I personally think it's like a valid way to get married. Really? Like, I'm just like, yeah, arranged marriage, fine way to get married. I personally am not that That's good. literally like, me. I'm just like, I'm not going to find a bride for myself. So I'll just let my parents decide. Because right? I'm going to be married. lonely otherwise my whole life. <laughs> it's a valid way to get married. And honestly, it's like most of the time, people will have um like most of the time like people will want that commitment but it's like if you're just dating around maybe in the west maybe people aren't ready to just like talk about marriage right off the bat you know and then mm-hmm. and then it's like like you're scared to invest a lot of years of your life with somebody you're not gonna marry them blah 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 whatever i think arranged marriage is like a fine way to get married but and i write about this in my article uh the biggest the biggest i think part of arranged marriage and the most traditional part quite honestly is freedom of choice. So completely unpressured choice. Like, you know, you can either marry this person and you don't have to. And if you don't have, if you don't want to, you can go back to them mm-hmm. and look at it again, or you can choose a different person. Completely unpressured choice on both sides, I think is what's like key in marriage. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, I think there are some things in, in arranged marriage that um, are common to look for now that actually like aren't that, uh, traditional or they're not that um they honestly like in my opinion I'm just like this shouldn't be your priority <laughs> but what do I know like different people out there have different opinions um like for example in Indian matchmaking they'll talk a lot about height like oh this girl's five seven too tall this girl's five two too short whatever mm-hmm. you're not going to care about height if like that person is like terrible to you you know like mm. um and, and furthermore um you're not going to care about height if like this person you don't know what's going to happen in life you're not going to care about height if this person like needs to use a wheelchair for whatever reason um or or you're not going to care about height if uh like you can't like see their head when they wear heels whatever like you know what i'm saying like you're not going to care about height because there's lots of different things that are priorities um, and I think like my, con- my thoughts about physical attractiveness are, are, can easily be like, people can be like, oh, I, don't, I can't choose what I'm attracted to. I can't choose what, you know, I find this thing attractive. I can't choose that or stuff like that. Uh, sure. Okay. Like in my opinion, I, I approach it very skeptically. I'm like, um, sure. But like, you know, in like Victorian England, like a really round figure was seen as gorgeous and everybody would want that. And it's like now like a really like slim figure seen as gorgeous and everybody wants that. So I'm just like, mm, sure, you can't control what you're attracted to, but it's heavily influenced by the society mm-hmm. we're in. And the more we choose to uphold those um, structures, 
the more we contribute to them. You know, I'm not saying people shouldn't be attracted to tall people. I'm not saying people shouldn't be attracted to people with a certain figure or whatever. I'm mm-hmm. saying it's important to understand your, um, your biases. And it's important to understand like why you're, you're particularly interested in that particular kind of person. And I think any matchmaking does a bad job at that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think it does a fine job at like showing like, oh, this is an issue. Like, oh, people are talking about it so glibly, like five, seven, she's too tall. Um, but they're not really addressing like why people are looking at these particular things. Also so that girl at the, the end, that girl at the end, she was just like, I would like them to be fair. I would like them to be tall. I would like them to do this, this, or this. I was just like, girl, why don't you like look for like somebody who like is feminist and announces it clearly. Like, I'm just like, why don't you look for somebody who will treat you properly? <laughs> yeah, this isn't like shopping for a car. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> and this is something like I, I think about, you know, quite a lot myself too, because I'm just like, oh, like, you know, I'm like five foot eight myself. I'm okay. Like I've seen people talk about, you got to meet the six foot mark. And, you know, it's, um, do you think, do you think these standards, do you, do you mostly blame the media for having these, like, just making these standards so popular? Or do you think there's something else out there? No. I mean, maybe there's a conspiracy. Entirely. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Illuminati is like controlling us, putting this six foot standard mark for entirely, us. I don't think it's entirely the media. I think it's a lot to do with how the tides of society change over time, right? For example, okay, I just want to be real with you guys. Six, uh, Krishna had 16,000 wives, and he was very dark. <laughs> um, and of course, he's like an exception or whatever, but it's like prior to uh, colonization, dark skin wasn't seen as very much of a negative attribute, right? But nowadays, everybody wants somebody who's, most people want somebody who's fair skin. I wouldn't say everybody, I don't want to lump everybody in. Most people would want somebody who's fair skinned in India. Um, and so I don't think it's like, but it's like, it's like the thing with the media too, is there wasn't very much of a media craze over light skin, I think prior to colonization. Mm-hmm. But I think like the tides of society is what changes things, right? Like for example, Victorian England, right? Like if you were plumper back then, it meant that you had a lot of food, right? But now uh, people want to be skinnier because there's an overabundance of food. And so it's like, I really think like the way society changes influences what we view as the ideal or not. I don't think it's all entirely based on the media. I think the media amplifies it, but I don't think that's the root cause. I had to do a lot of learning myself this year. I, I do think like just being at UNC and just having a, having a community where, and having honest friends, I think that's that's one of the best things that I'm I'm blessed to say that I have honest friends like Aniket and like a lot of other people. Like, you know, if I do if I say something stupid, I'm pretty sure if I say something stupid in a podcast, Aniket will be like, "All right, you better shut up right now." <laughs> and I think that's that's one of the best things about it is like, you know, I'm not perfect, but and the you know the the whole point of you know when you, when you're dating or anything is like if you're not having success with dating, it just reflects your character. It's like, you know, when we talked about like, if you're having the same issues over and over, maybe you want to think about it. it's not them. It's, it's probably you. Right. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, all you just need is like just having a good, you know, good circle of friends. And like also, you know, family also matters a lot too. Obviously if you have a toxic family that also upholds a lot of these like controversial things, I think, then, you know, you're not going to really have a lot of success in the dating world too, or just like success in life in general, because you're just going to be, you know, basically an asshole pretty much walking around. So well, I think you're about to get there, but a lot of, uh, a lot of the reasons that, so a lot 
of people in this post were telling this guy like go on a self-reflection journey mm. but i'm pretty sure it was directed at go on a self-reflection journey so you can get a girlfriend in the future oh but it's like, i was right? yeah i was about to follow up with like yeah you, like you should journal because like that's something that helped me a lot too because like i i would journal like what would happen throughout my day and just like write down like the bad stuff that happened in my day and then like mm. i would like reflect upon and be like okay i think I was probably at fault here. Most of the time I was the one that was at fault. And like, that's what like really helped me grow. And I feel like now I'm at a point, like that's like, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast is like, I, I actually do enjoy just talking about deep topics with other people. Cause I think not mm-hmm. only, you know, we get to expand our creative minds, but at the same time we get to have these difficult conversations and it just, it just makes us better, you know, in not just like, you know, in person, but also it's like, in the in the career world and like just better in our personalities in general so i think that's mm-hmm, where it's mm-hmm. really important yeah and, yeah and so, that's true <laughs> and something like that that just comes naturally to me is i'm a very self-conscious person right so all these topics okay. that we've discussed um any kind of social issue i like to tread lightly because at the end of the day like i have my opinions but i want to respect that of those of the others and i, I don't want to i don't know how to describe it but I just want people to feel comfortable when we're having conversations. Right. And I, I think too many times, um, like this is not Twitter. Like, you know, we just can't see yeah. each other left and right. And I think that's, that's the beauty of uh, having a podcast where it's not, it's not like an interview. It's, it's an, it's a general conversation where, you know, we're welcome to have conversation with all sorts of people, regardless of whether we agree with them internally or not. And I think it's uh, just listening to the other side. Um, and so far, like whatever you set up, I've actually totally agreed to everything that you've said. So like, but just like listening to the other side, just having these conversations is very important because it, that's, that's the part of it. That's just like eye opening. Cause a lot of time what mm-hmm. happens is like, um, I see, you know, I used to be really active on Twitter. I'm not really on Twitter right now, but I know that one of the things like I used to hate about Twitter is like people being sheep, you know, people are so fast to take sides because they're, mm-hmm. you know, that's the popular thing. You know, people are. I remember there's a there's this one part where um, Chris Pat got canceled on Twitter because he didn't speak like he didn't voice his political opinions. So people were just like randomly assuming like he's a redneck, you know, he's a he's a tall white dude, redneck. He's probably a Trump supporter. Uh, you know, he goes to like anti-LGBTQ church and like none of these things were like like you know like he's never really said anything. So you can't just like say things out of the blue and like a lot of people are supporting that because that's that's the popular norm that's like what everyone else is doing so let me just follow the sheep and like you know talk about the same thing but i think it's like if you have those conversations in person or like having those in a podcast where like we're actually talking to each other and uh i think that's when people just sound a lot more reasonable than just sound like a mad bob on twitter and i think that's the beauty mm-hmm. of it yeah and, and yeah, change yeah, and change doesn't happen from, you know, talking to your friends and people who say who share your same views. Change yeah. happens when you talk to people on the opposite side of your argument or your ideals. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this is all true. I think you guys have brought some really great points. I just want to bring up a quick word of caution. People are objectively wrong and you don't need to listen to them. Like, for example, if, uh, you know, that guy who was like, I can't be with anymore because my mom thinks you're too dark was objectively wrong and I didn't need to listen to him because it's like, you know, treating people differently based on their skin tone, uh, it, like negatively differently and not like making equitable choices for them to buy their, their themselves in society is objectively wrong. Like treating people, like discriminating based off skin tone is objectively wrong and I don't need to listen to somebody with that opinion. I think it is important for people to take sides. Um, it, it is important to like be open, be respectful. I think the best way to put this as an insights major act, I've had to learn to like adapt and change a lot in terms of different perspectives is you do the best you can until you know to do better, right? 
but doing mm-hmm. your best means like really sticking to what you believe is your best and then ch- being open to change when you learn better but the danger in not taking sides like that guy did right I was just like you know like by going like by agreeing with what your mother has said uh you're racist like straight up like is like the discrimination of uh, yeah. I'm sorry the definition of racism is discrimination based off of skin tone and that's what you are doing to me currently so you are racist. anyway um he was like well you know I don't think I discriminate based off of skin tone I think this is a really special case like I think you know what I'm saying people always try special to justify themselves Right. Um, and so I think it's important, like, take sides, take sides. Like, if you think something yeah. is wrong, it's probably wrong. Uh, you don't need to listen to every opinion out there on the planet. Um, if you have solid evidence that you believe that what you're doing is right, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and the danger of not taking sides is that you'll burn those who aren't, who don't have the privilege in society to be free from those oppressive forces, just like that guy did to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's important to, like, to, like, tell like uh people like please take sides and you know like even though you know we were joking about you know Vesh we just we're gonna bring her to a dating podcast i'm pretty sure a lot of women can relate to you yeah. with, uh, especially a lot of you know brown women and uh, women of color can definitely relate to you with this aspect i do know friends personally that have like talked about similar things in the past and it is it is a terrible issue um because a lot of times you you, you know how you were talking about before you know, we, we really just got to learn like how to read between the lines. Cause a lot of times like, oh, like, you know, how you were talking about, Oh, cast is not an issue. Yeah. You, you know, you're, you're Shatriya, right? So that's not a big deal. Like that, yeah. that's, I think that's kind of what the, what the biggest issue is right now. It's like, we want to, we all want to sound right, but are we actually right? You know? Yeah. And I think that's, that's the biggest issue. I wanted to ask you about your, like, um, your your coursework right so um oh okay. no, no not not coursework but your how did you get to working in a biology lab at unc even before you <laughs> even came into unc like obviously well, you all like just talking to you you seem very uh, i guess involved and uh just knowledgeable, knowledgeable. about these things yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so how'd you get your foot in the door because i'm sure a lot of people are wondering <laughs> what does it take yeah, thank you. So I'll start out with an anecdotal story and then I'll like tie into my actual answer. Sorry, I'm a little long-winded today. One time I was giving a, uh, a talk to a group of English 105 students about like failure, the value of failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like straight up, like I walked in, I was like, oh, I'm a women's studies major. Uh, and um, I'd love to, you know, I, I would love to talk to you about like how failure has contributed to me. Um, like my growth and there's this like girl in the front <laughs> in the front of the room who was just like the second I said I was like I'm a women's studies major she just like got on her phone like looked away she was like okay whatever mm-hmm. and then I continued talking and I was like oh yeah by the way I'm a published author in the Royal Society Journal Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society uh, my work is in basic science I worked on zebrafish her face <laughs> like her face like, she whipped up <laughs> from the phone her face her eyes got really big she was like yeah. oh my god what <laughs> It's just so shocking to me, you know, that uh, the work that I do as as uh, an activist might not have that much relevance to some people. But then the second I say, like, oh, by the way, yeah. I also do science and I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, by the which which I think like both of those things should be really valued um, because science cannot function without society. That it can't function without science. Um, and I think it's really important to really couple those things together. But anyways, um, so 
my work initially actually wasn't at UNC, it was at Duke. Um, <laughs> wild, I know. <laughs> uh, and how I got into it was, I was, it actually was not planning on it initially. Uh, I mentioned I, I um, am a science writer. I write for the American Society for Cell Biology now. Um, but prior to that, I used to write for Duke Research Blog. Uh, and then prior to that, I wrote for Science Communicators of North Carolina. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think it's really important to communicate science. My mom, immigrant woman, right? She can't really understand a lot of the stuff that is published in primary literature. And yet it's very crucial for her to understand that information so she can move forward and make informed decisions. Right. Uh, and I think it's really important to spread science to people like that because you got to understand what's going on. Anyways. Um, I've been, I've been in science communication for some time now, and I actually went to go interview this guy, this person. So my first research assignment was with the Banyal Lab at Duke University. Um, uh, a great lab, by the way, if anybody has the privilege of working with them, incredible people. And, and honestly, I had a really great experience there. My lab mates were great. We still follow each other on Instagram and Facebook. And like, mm -hmm. we have our, like, I have their numbers. They're really great people. They came to my high school graduation. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> anyways. So I rolled up. So, so we were all given an assignment to choose who to interview at Duke. And I wanted to interview actually a different scientist. I wanted to interview Dr. Blanche Chappelle, who worked like one floor up. Um, and uh, she, was, she was on vacation that week. It was Thanksgiving. And so they were like, well, you can't interview this person. How about you interview the person one floor down? Mm. <laughs> it turned out to be Dr. Michelle Vanya. I was like, okay. Not my original like, thought, but I was really glad for the opportunity. I rolled up. I had done some research on the lab. I rolled up, got lost, asked somebody where to go, got lost again, <laughs> and then found the person, uh, found Dr. Banya's office. I was like, hey, I'm here to interview you. We sat down, we had a conversation, um, and I was like, you know, I think your work is really interesting. I think it's really interesting figuring out how things grow and change and develop, because they were working on um, zebrafish morphology, so it's like how fish spines grow, which is important because we have spines. <laughs> um, and he was like, you know, uh, you know more about this lab than some of the undergraduates who've asked to work here. So do you want to work with us in the future? And I was sitting there like, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my goodness. I, I, I was really speechless. I was like, sure. <laughs> I really don't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing inside. Like, am I, am I too young for this? Like, do I even meet the requirements? Really? I was like, am I too young for this? <laughs> and so, you know, I wrote up the interview, published it. Um, I titled it Totally Tubular. Still on Duke's research blog if you want to read it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had really zesty titles back then, but now I'm just like, how zebrafish grow? <laughs> like, I guess I'm yeah, so less creative. I think so, the, this is such an interesting story because I think the biggest lesson that even I've learned from, you know, meeting people and interviewing people and I obviously doing this podcast is like, you really have to be passionate about everything that you do, right? So like you mm -hmm. went in into the lab, being passionate about the lab, like you knew about the lab more than a lot, even like the people that actually work there, which talks about like, you know, you're really passionate about the industry. It's the same thing with, uh, you know, you were talking about that girl that started paying attention to you as soon as, as, soon as she, she heard that you were relevant somehow in, in her life. Right. A lot mm -hmm. of times, like, you know, a lot of times like you might meet someone that you're like, Oh, like, I mean, I guess like I'll network, but like, they're not really going to bring value to my life, but like, it shouldn't be your meant your mental, like, you know, when you're going, you know, in a conversation, you shouldn't think about, Oh, like how can this person benefit me? Cause I think that's where, yeah. that's where the issue is. Cause a lot of times like, you know, I can, you know, I, 
I've had the opportunity to work for a couple of startups and I currently I work for IBM and I'm going to be working for Amazon uh, after, after this, after the summer. So I've already get, I get a lot of people in my LinkedIn DMs and like, you know, people trying to network with me and talk to me and I can smell the fake pretty easily. Cause like, <laughs> I, I know that I know, you know, 80 to 90% of them, you know, they want something from me. And a lot of times, you know, I'm just disappointed because I'm just like, I can tell you just want something from me. So yeah. I, mean, I can, t- I can help you to do get the direction, hope that you'll know you'll make it, but I'm not going to give you a referral if that's what you're looking for. I only, mm-hmm. I only end up giving referrals to those that legitimately want to know what's going on in my life and like what I'm doing. And like, for me, it's like, you know, my career, you know, let's say my nine to five job, it's it, obviously it's a big part of my, my life, but that's not obviously the most, most important thing. A lot of times, you know, if you really want to have good conversations and really make the connections, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta find other ways to relate to people. Cause like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure like, you know, you know, you probably get questions about, you know, you don't feel all the time. Obviously, this is the whole all point the of, the, of the podcast too. But we've also had conversations about, you know, you talk about, you know, your experience with dating and stuff like that, um, which is something that a lot of people might not ask you about. But this is the conversation that needs to happen. It's important because then you're able to make that connection to the next level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to add to that, um, I remember I, I was reading a quote that you said, or at least something that you said in an article, right? You're talking about how don't, don't just join a research lab because you need it for like a credit or for your resume do it because you enjoy it and that's something Mm -hmm. that i'm i'm learning more and more now i'm like when i first came into medicine i was like okay i gotta do some research and i gotta join clubs but the more i got involved i was like i don't particularly enjoy these clubs and i don't want to do it if i don't enjoy it so that's kind of how this podcast came about and that's kind of how i've been holding myself i guess like that's how i go about reviewing myself when I do decide to join a club or do some mm-hmm. research is do I enjoy it? Because if I enjoy it, I'm going to put 110% in. If I don't, I'll probably half-ass it and hurt myself in the process. Mm-hmm. And this is like interesting because, um, you know, me and I've always thought about like having a podcast, you know, like I've, th- I've been thinking about it for the past year. And the funny thing is Anike was thinking of the same thing. And Anike was the one that like, brought the conversation. I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. I've been thinking about it for a long time. A lot of times, you know, you just kind of need that push. And I think, one lesson that anyone that's listening to a podcast can take is like, you know, if you have a dream and if you, if you want to really achieve something, uh, a lot of times, like, you know, when we see these like millionaires and billionaires and all these people, you know, obviously a lot of their success comes from the timing and the luck, but a lot of success also comes from the fact that like they took the initiative. A lot of times, like the biggest step with any startup or pretty much, I would say mostly anything in life mm-hmm. is like actually making the effort. Like I remember, like I used to be 40 pounds over, um, and I, you know, when I came into UNC as a freshman and I used to be pretty much like overweight and pre-diabetic my entire life. And I still remember the first day I watched the Pog Milka Pog film, uh, which is a story about Milka Singh. Uh, he's an Olympic runner. I watched the film like on TV and that was the first day I decided I'm going to go for a run. And like that, mm-hmm. that movie, like literally, I still think about it to this time. Like I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of Ron Hakhtar. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a great actor in my opinion. And, um, I still think about that because I was like, okay, if I didn't make that, that move, you know, that one day when that one, the first time when, you know, I ran like half a mile, like I was really exhausted and like sweating out of my shirt. You know, if I didn't make that move, like how many years would I have like holding myself back? It's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. Um, and I think like a lot of issues that undergrads face is um, people will respond to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like when they send yeah. out emails asking, can I join, can I join, stuff like that. Uh, and I think what's been really important to me is um, 
exactly what Ankush said um, to, and, and what you said, Ankit, uh, to understand what you like and also like, just like be nice to people, <laughs> like mm -hmm. just be nice to people, like regardless of what they're gonna do. Cause let me tell you, I work on three different clinical research projects now, okay? Great opportunity for an undergraduate. Um, especially because it's clinical research and I love what I do and it, and it's it's really great work. Um, but the reason I'm in it is because when I when I was uh, in my government funded incubator right for Innovation Next, uh, they flew me out to Dallas and uh, one of the women I met there was a doctor at Yale. Okay, so not at UNC. Uh, and I was like, hey, many invited me, blah blah blah. And surprisingly, she knew a doctor at UNC. And she was like, you should meet my, you should meet my colleague, Dr. So-and-so. So I did. I went and met Dr. So-and-so when I got back. And Dr. So-and-so introduced me to um, another doctor at UNC who um, then introduced me to another doctor who introduced me to our resident. Our networking. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so, um, like, now I'm able to work on all of these things. And it's like, I think people really underestimate the impact of human connection. So I think, like, one of the most important things is not just, like, send an email, hey, can I work in your lab? Send an email maybe, hey, can I talk to you about your research? Because I think people would love to talk about their work. We, like, why else would they do it, right? Um, and, and I think that's a, honestly one of the most important things that I would tell like somebody who's just looking to get into research like talk to people about it furthermore and I've written about this uh, for the Society for Cell Bio it's not just what you work on but who you work with people are really really important in research and you want to find somebody who can support you and you want to find somebody who you get like good vibes from I'll give you an example I was interviewing for a lab position at this lab um, where they had a bunch of undergraduate supply it was a plant biology lab and I love plants. Um, and so I was going through and um, they sprung a lab practical test on me. Sometimes they'll do that, like, a, like you know, pipette, like five of these things, run a PCR, like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's fine to do if you tell the person about it ahead of time. But they didn't tell me ahead of time. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, I've had research experience, so I'm able to do this. But what if I didn't, you know? What if I was uh, somebody looking to make my way from like, you know, a rural area in North Carolina and I didn't have any research experience, I wouldn't get this position. And that's when I knew that place might not be as inclusive to, to people as I would want it to be. And I, I didn't have any qualms, like not joining that lab, you know? And I think it's important, like, cause I see a lot of undergrads let themselves get exploited uh, for, for a lot more hours than they should probably take because they're so grateful for the opportunity but it's like you have power too um and you're able to to decide how you want to be treated and that will be helpful much later on um so i think for people who wanted to break into research break into science break into academia first off you belong there everybody has this like moment where they're just like oh my god i don't belong i don't i can't do this you belong there as long as you have a curious spirit you want to learn more about the world uh, find people who are willing to support you um, and just generally be nice to people. One of the reasons that I got my first publication was because I was just nice to people in the lab. Um, and I think that's just very crucial. A lot of people see the end goal, but enjoy the journey. It's very important. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Thank you, Vaishnavi, for coming to our podcast and talking about uh, all these like issues that are prevalent in our culture that I think we should really pay attention to. Um, so what are you working on currently and what's next for you? Uh, yeah, well, thanks so much for asking. Yeah, I think a lot of activists get asked uh, during the pandemic, like, 
you know, how are you able to organize people? How are you able to continue making change? How are you able, you know, things like that. And I think um, what's really important is uh, we're, we're very connected nowadays. And I think there's a huge opportunity to um, do a lot of activism online. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm very lucky <laughs> because a lot of my work has been online since I was very young, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, so, and so because all my stuff has already been virtual, like the YouTube channel, the podcast I used to have, um, and the stuff I write uh, is mostly virtual already. I don't think it's been too difficult for me to continue pushing for the change that I want to see. Mm -hmm. I think nowadays um, I've been cooking up some some ideas surrounding like status and and how we show status in Indian societies, how women are often used to show status. And um, I've been working a lot on research. I think like scientific research is something that takes a long time to cook and process and Mm -hmm. like publish uh, <laughs> and the idea takes forever and things like that um and so th those things are not like immediate gratification but i still think it's really really important to push mm -hmm. for women's work in science um so i've been doing a lot on that end as well uh and i think one of the most important things that i've been able to do during this this quarantine which i encourage a lot of people to do if they're able to is really understand the value of different relationships in your life um and understand and how you're able to make change in the circles that surround you. Because now that, you know, we have a lot of time on our hands, most people, um, it's really easy to see who will take the time to reach out to you and who will take the time to stay in touch with you versus people who may not. And I think it's important to feed yourself by feeding into the, those relationships because those are people you're going to have for a very long time in your life. And you're going to want people to constantly push you to, to be better, right? And I think now is a great time to feed into those communities. Thank you for being on the show. I mean, I know I've learned a lot. Let's be honest. Like, these are all stuff that I haven't had the chance to learn much about, but I know I'm going to read up on a lot of this stuff, or at least be more mindful in conversations that I have in the future. So, so thank you once again for being on the show. No problem. Thank you for having me.